0: anthem Church, thanks for checking out our podcast for all the info you need visit anthemforall.org and follow at anthem Church Chicago Isaiah chapter six If you can turn in your Bibles, we are uh, eventually um, after a very lengthy introduction, going to get to Isaiah chapter six, so you can start preparing yourselves and, and turning into there turning to there before we get started, I just want to give you a heads up um, this this morning 's message is a little longer than normal so um, when we get to the 30 to 35 minute mark and some of you start to gaze at your watches and wondering when we're going to be bringing the sermon into land, I am um, uh, preparing you now that uh, the wheels probably won't be coming out at that point. We're going to be going a little longer, um, so just prepare yourself. I trust that God's going to speak to us through the word. Um, it, it is, it's an, I'm really excited about this morning's message Um, And then after the message, after this morning's message, we're going to get the worship team back up here, and we're going to take a moment uh, uh, just to wait on on God, wait on the Holy Spirit, and and see what the Holy Spirit would want to say, would want to do, how He may want to minister to us specifically this morning. As James mentioned, we are right slap bang in the middle of a a six-week or a six-part series uh, teaching on the Holy Spirit, God within us, the person of the Holy Spirit. And We've specifically said that this series is kind of looking at the quote-unquote ordinary miracles or the, uh, uh, the often overlooked work of the Holy Spirit. Whenever we think of a sermon series or a sermon on the Holy Spirit, we, we often tend to go towards the gifts, which are amazing. But uh, this series is focused particularly on as I say, the quote-unquote ordinary or kind of unspectacular ministry and work of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've looked at various things already. We, uh, we've looked at the Holy Spirit and our identity, uh, uh, the, this call that, that, that God has for us to, to acknowledge and recognize who we are in Jesus, and by virtue of that, what does it look like to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit? Next Sunday, as James mentioned, we're going to be uh, spending some time looking at the the wholeness that comes from the Holy Spirit, healing and wholeness. And and Ken, not only on the Friday nights, is going to be leading us in ministry, but on on Sunday morning too, uh, it's going to be a a ministry heavy time, a a time focused on giving room to the Spirit of God to to actually spend uh, uh, some work, uh, do some work in our hearts. We we in time, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit and our maturity. What does it look like to grow up into Jesus? And then Aiden's going to end the series in a few weeks looking at what does a spirit-filled life look like? What, what does it look like to, to lead a life that is looking like the life Jesus led? But today what we're going to do is we're going to speak about the Holy Spirit and holiness the Holy Spirit and holiness. And, and the specific question, and I'm going to use terms that might not be familiar now, but we're going to get to explaining them. Specifically today, we're going to, we're going to understand this idea of positional holiness. What does it mean to, to have um, the holiness of Jesus Christ in us by virtue of our position in Christ, but we're going to realize and look and, and discover that God has so much more for us than just positional holiness. He wants that holiness to be Manifest. He wants that holiness to be outworked. He wants that holiness to be experienced. And that comes as we recognize the ministry and work of the Holy Spirit in us and as we learn to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. There are some incredible verses in the Bible, truth bomb worthy verses in the Bible that speak about holiness. 1 Peter chapter 1 says this But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Matthew chapter 5. Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I mean, just those two verses, that's a small sample size of, of those two verses right there, we are told that we need to be holy in everything that we do because God is holy and that we're called to be perfect like our Father in heaven is perfect. I, I mean, how do, we, how do we reconcile verses like that? What do we do with verses like that? What is our response? How do we relate to a God who is, who is holy and exalted and other and separate and, and, and so distinct? And, and how do we respond to His call in our, in our lives to be like Him, to be holy? I, I think there are, there are different ways that, that those of us who are followers of Jesus tend to relate to this idea of holiness. Holiness. For some of us, the, the holiness of God looms over us like some dark cloud. We 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 love God. We 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 worship Him with all of our hearts, and we desire to be like Him. We desire to to be holy as He is holy, but we continually fall short. We have we have maybe an an un, an, an unrealistic understanding of what holiness means. And so we're continually falling short. And so the holiness of God looms over us, reminding us of our constant shortcomings and failures. Others of us who are followers of Jesus, uh, in some way actually reduce the holiness of God to be beneath us. We recognize that, that, that being holy as God is holy, is, it seems so unachievable and unattainable. So then we get to decide which attributes of God's holiness we think are reasonable for us to embrace. And so ultimately what happens is we become the authority of holiness. Holiness gets reduced to something beneath us. If the holiness of God isn't above us, if the holiness of God isn't beneath us, for others of us, the holiness of God is reduced to somewhere behind us. We've moved on. Holiness was so Old Testament. Holiness is is so then. We're, we've moved on. We're in the new covenant. We're under grace. And we mistakenly think that grace and holiness are like oil and water. But that's not the case we're gonna learn. We haven't you know holiness isn't just good for them then, but it's not necessarily good for us now. No, the holiness of God isn't just something that looms above us, reminding us of our failures. It isn't something that we get to decide or define, so it's beneath us, and it's not something that we reduce behind us. The holiness of God, as we surrender our hearts to Jesus as Lord and Savior, the moment that we take our faith that we place in ourselves and we and we place it in Jesus on the work in the work that He did on the cross, the moment that we say yes to Jesus. The Bible teaches that the holiness of God is within us. We become temples of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are made alive by the work of the Holy Spirit, by the infilling and, and power and ministry of the Holy Spirit within us. Hebrews chapter 10 is so explicit in this. It says so clearly in Hebrews chapter 10 that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, those of us who have placed our faith in him are made holy. We are holy. But God has so much more for us than just having this idea of positional holiness. He wants that holiness to be outworked. He wants us to be free from sin and free from shame and free from guilt and to begin to live a life that looks more and more like Jesus. He wants the reality of our positional holiness to be outworked and manifest experientially. And that's exactly what Hebrews 10 says. Hebrews 10 says that because of the sacrifice of Jesus, God is perfecting those who have already been made holy. God is perfecting those who are already perfect. We're going to get to this towards the end. We are becoming who we already are. That's the call of holiness on our lives. We're becoming the holy people that we already are by virtue of the Holy Spirit living within us. That excites me. Anyway, so what does holiness look like? I, I I want to take a few moments to... To, to not not to give you a definition, but to give you a description of holiness, and and, it's, and don't worry if you if you don't get to write all of this down, or in fact don't write all. This, I want you to just allow the Spirit of God to to minister to you as 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 I describe what my understanding of the holiness of 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 God looks like. What does holiness look like in the life of a follower of Jesus? Holiness is distinction. Holiness is otherness. Holiness is separation. Separation from impurity and separation for God. Holiness is Christ-likeness. It is openness. It is joy. It is dedication to Jesus. Holiness is not legalism. It's not severity. It's not harshness. It's not exclusiveness. Neither is it niceness or morality in and of themselves. Holiness is refusing to be defensive or envious or jealous, or vindictive, or irritated, or self-centered. It is freedom from the need to do righteous things in full view of others. It's freedom from selfish ambition, from manipulation, from pride, and from self-exhortation. Holiness is the assurance of salvation. It is confidence in God, and in His Word, and in the power of the Holy Spirit. um, Sorry, holiness is, is uh, is fresh obedience every day. A daily openness to God, a daily obedience to the Holy Spirit, and a daily graciousness towards ourselves and towards others. Holiness is endurance in trial and standing on God's word no matter what we're going through. Holiness is trusting God for tomorrow. It is the freedom from introspection and the enjoyment of being led by the Spirit of God into the will of God. Holiness is the freedom from ritual from legalism and from guilt and the freedom for glorifying God daily and living constantly in God's presence. Holiness is transparency. It's ease. It's fearlessness. And it's living with a clear conscience before God and before each other. Holiness is patience. It's a willingness to submit to God and allow Him to bless us in His time and in His way without panicking. Holiness is loving people and loving God. As I study the scriptures, I mean, I, that's, that's a very long, not a definition, but a description of holiness. And I, and I trust that, and to, that for some, maybe your mind is being blown, but I, I'm sure every single one of us, to some degree, are asking this question, who on earth can live that way? Well, I'm glad you asked because that's the same question that Isaiah asked in Isaiah chapter 6 as he encountered the the holiness of God. And we're going to jump in and have a look at the first eight verses of Isaiah chapter 6 to understand how God who is other, God who is holy, God who is distinct makes a way for us, his people, to have relationship with him. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. It starts, in the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. It's fascinating that Isaiah begins this description of the the holiness of God, begins his revelation, his encounter with the holiness of God by, by, by actually dating it according to the death of a king. And that is so significant in the Old Testament because time after time, every single Old Testament event of significance is dated according to the birth of a king or the reign of a king. You can look throughout the Old Testament. Second Chronicles tells us, for example, that the Assyrians came and conquered Babylon in the 14th year of the reign of Hezekiah. But what's fascinating here is that Isaiah dates the vision of the living God by recognizing the death of an earthly king. In the year, King Uzziah. King Uzziah was was one of Judah's greatest kings. It describes King Uzziah as one who who sought sought the Lord and did the things that the Lord wanted him to do. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And, 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 And he says, in the year, King Uzziah died. I want you to imagine for a moment how Isaiah must have felt. This great and, 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 and worldly righteous, but this great king who, who, who led Judah into prosperity is now dead. Imagine how Israel must have felt. Imagine how the people must have felt. Maybe it's something how, of how you might feel as things around you that seemed so certain now seem so uncertain. And I love what Isaiah does. He places that uncertainty, he places that, that sense of despair within the context of the Lord. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. I love that. I saw the Lord. How did he see him? I saw the Lord seated on a throne. And so often that's how the Lord is described throughout the Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, Hebrews chapter 12, Ephesians chapter 2, we see Jesus, we see the Lord seated on the throne. And constantly in this text, Isaiah is is describing the distinction between us and God. The the separation between God who is exalted and us. He is there, high and exalted. We are here. He is self-existent. We are utterly dependent on Him. He is glorious. We are not. He lives forever. Our earthly king is dead. He never changes. Everything around us seems to change. And then in this point, he is seated. And we are rushing around here and there and everywhere trying not to be overwhelmed by this or trying to fulfill this demand or request. We hold our lives together by busyness. We hold our lives together by taking on this responsibility or running this particular errand or, or uh, uh, rushing to meet this particular responsibility. That's how we hold our lives together. Jesus, who holds the universe together in, in the palm of his hand by the power of his word, who, who knows every star by name, who, who, who brings them out every night to parade them before humankind. Who knows when a when a when a when a lowly swallow falls to the ground? This Jesus is seated. He's seated on a throne. Not indifferent, but sovereign. Your current set of circumstances might have caught you of God. But I want to say it hasn't caught the Lord of God. And his seating on the throne is not an indifference to the challenges you face, it's a statement that he is sovereign. In the challenges that you face. In the year King Uzziah died, I, I saw the Lord high and exalted seated on the throne. I, I, I can't stop emphasizing this that, that God is, is high and lifted up. He's the God of absolute power and absolute authority. He's the God of no limits. He's the God of infinite mystery. He is self existent and self sufficient. He is eternal, he is unchanging. He is forever present and present everywhere and the God of infinite knowledge. Psalm 103, David writes, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom reigns, extends over all. I saw the Lord in the year King Uzziah died. I saw the Lord high and exalted, seated on the throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. I want you to use, try as best as you can to use your imagination and, and, to, and to allow the Holy Spirit to place that picture into your mind that the Lord is so glorious, the Lord is so exalted that the, the train of His robe is so magnificent, the train of His robe is so magnificent that it fills the temple. We, had a, we've, we have a friend from Dallas, Texas, who about 14 years ago got married in what we would later learn. We were very new in America. And we didn't know what kind of everything is bigger in Texas. We didn't know that. And then we saw this Texas wedding at a beautiful country club with, you know, 14 bridesmaids and, and 14 groomsmen and just hundreds of people. And the bride had a, had, a, had a train that was about 12 feet long. I mean, it was, it was spectacular. It was so spectacular. And what, what was so funny, kind of just as an aside... She, she actually didn't realize that the pastor, throughout the ceremony, was actually standing on the end of her train until she started to walk down, down the aisle after the ceremony. You know, so she, she walks, and the, the, the train is 12 feet long, so she kind of gets all the way, and then suddenly she gets jerked back <laughs> like this. As glorious as that train was, Isaiah is describing something far more majestic and far more spectacular. There's no room for people because the train of God's glory is filling the place. Look at verse 2. Above him, above the Lord, on, on his throne were, were seraphim. These angelic creatures of light. These, these, these angelic creatures of fire. Each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. And with two wings they covered their feet. And with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another. Holy, holy. Holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And at the sound of their voices, the the, the threshold and doorpost shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. I, I mean, just get this picture again of, of these seraphim circling the throne of Jesus and and, and one shouts, holy. And another across the room shouts, holy. And one shouts, holy. And another shouts, holy. And as they do that, the, the very threshold of the temple and the foundations of the temple of God are shaking. August, every single year, one of my favorite events is the is the Aaron water show. I mean, first year here as South Africans, 15 years ago, we honestly thought we were under attack when they began to, to practice downtown. The F, what are they? F-16s, F-19s, I don't know. F something. Uh, um, just flying over the city. Or the Blue Angels flying over the city, and and literally, literally our house where we currently live, we're on the top floor, literally shakes when the blue angels fly over. That's something of what Isaiah is describing. Not as they declare the holiness of God, the the foundations of the temple begin to shake. Now, I, I, I don't want you to miss this. This is so important. As glorious as those angelic beings were. As as spectacular as those angelic beings were, they were sinless. They had been created for one purpose, for the worship and glory of Jesus. They'd been circling the throne constantly since the day of their creation. As sinless and glorious as they were, they had two wings that covered their feet because they acknowledged they were not worthy to stand in the presence of God. And with two wings, they cover their eyes because they they realized they were not worthy to gaze upon the beauty of God. How holy, how glorious, how spectacular must you be for those creatures to not even be worthy to gaze upon the Lord. That's our God. That's the God that we worship. That's the God that Isaiah encountered. And they're declaring on this endless loop, holy, holy, holy. Is the Lord God Almighty? The whole earth is full of His glory. They've been singing this song over and over again. Picture a, a song that's on an endless loop. I'm sure you've heard it before. We had a, a fun experience at at, at Peckham Michelle's wedding. Uh, we have a Pekka Michelle. I hope you don't mind me using this illustration. But, but uh, Miami on a beach in uh, February. It was, but it was still warm. September. Sorry. <laughs> yes, September. It was, it was warm, we were sitting on the beach, and you know, it was a small, intimate wedding, beautiful setting, Miami sun beating down on us, and a friend, Mike Massa, was playing the ukulele, was going to play the ukulele to, to welcome Michelle down the aisle. I can't remember what song it was, Somewhere Over the Rainbow, I think, or, well, whatever, I don't know. So, some, of the, some of the non-important details are a little hazy right now, but catch the heart of the story. So... So 10 minutes before the wedding, 10 minutes before it's about to start, we, we hear this rumor kind of running through the crowd. Michelle's here. Michelle's here. She's early. She's early. So Mike Musser gets up wearing a black shirt, gets out his little ukulele, and he begins to play. And he does it once through. And he begins to play and there's no Michelle, he does it a second time through. And he got to that point where it was too awkward for him to stop because he'd been playing too long, so he just kept going on and on and on, this endless loop of a ukulele, sweat streaming down his face, but he was carrying on. Probably 30 minutes later, Michelle arrives. I mean, it it literally was this endless loop, that's something of what's going on here. The angels declaring, holy, 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 800 years later, 800 years later in the book of Revelation, John has a similar vision of the throne room of God with angels circling the throne declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Admittedly, they changed the second line because in Revelation they say, uh, and what is he? I think I've written it down. Yes, who was and is and is to come. So maybe they mix it up a little bit. But the holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. They were declaring the greatness and the goodness of God. I hope you found so. <laughs> the point is, they were declaring the holiness of God. And they've been doing so since, since their, their creation. <laughs> That's the point. The whole earth, it says. The whole earth. Is full of his glory. You look at a rainbow, what does it declare? Glory. You look at the majestic snow capped mountain, what does it declare? Glory. You look at a sunset or a sunrise, glory. A flower, glory. A newborn baby, glory. What do you what, it, it's whatever you see in a microscope and a telescope? Glory, 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 glory. Glory is everywhere. That's what these angelic beings. We're doing and and, and when, when Isaiah gets this vision of such a magnificent God, such a glorious God, it's no wonder he does in what he does in verse five. Woe to me, I cried, I'm ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. It reminds me so much of of what we studied. For those of of you who are around on Easter Sunday, we looked at Psalm 24. and, And David asks a similar question in Psalm 24. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? In other words, who is worthy to behold this holy God that Isaiah is describing? And David answers the question, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in an idol or swear by a false god, who may encounter the presence of God? No one is essentially what David's saying. But the good news is Psalm 24 doesn't end then, uh, there. And neither does Isaiah 6 end at verse 5 with, with Isaiah declaring, Woe is me. And it doesn't end there for you and me. Because God intervenes. God who is, who is altogether other. God who is holy and righteous and powerful. He's the one who initiates to, 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 to close the gap between his sinlessness And our sinfulness between his holiness and our anything but holiness. A price had to be paid and a sacrifice had to be made. And Jesus Christ was that price or is that price and was that sacrifice. Verse 6 and 7. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the fire. With it, he touched my mouth and he said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. And that's just a beautiful foreshadowing of the cross. Jesus is the one who, who died on the cross. And, and, and as he breathed his last, the, the wrath of God was poured out upon Jesus on behalf of everyone who would believe in his name. And every sin, past, present, and future, was paid for for those who would take their faith and place it in the person of Jesus and his death and resurrection. And the result is we are made holy by virtue of our position in Jesus. We have positional holiness. Positional holiness is, is perhaps best described by two theological words that some of you may be familiar with. Perhaps most of you are, but let me just share them anyway. Justification and adoption. Justification is that theological word which essentially says the, 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 the eternal just judge of the universe bangs his gavel, looks at us, bangs his gavel, sees the righteousness of Jesus and knows that we are in him by faith and declares us innocent. We are declared innocent. We're we're not innocent, but the righteousness of Jesus is imputed to us by faith. But you know what, friends? It's one thing to be declared innocent. You can leave a courtroom declared innocent and your heart is completely unchanged which is why the second theological term is so important. God doesn't just justify us, but he places us in the family of God. He adopts us as his sons and daughters. He is delighted to have us as members of his household. God doesn't declare us righteous or innocent and place a, 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 a tag on our ankles and says, I'm going to watch you for a year to make sure you don't do anything naughty, and, if, and then when you do, then I'll adopt you into my family. no. God declares us justified and adopted into his family at exactly the same time. And I I love this reality of of, of God being our heavenly father. We don't have time to go into this now, but I, I know the reality of heavenly father, God being father, can be challenging for some of us. Because, well, in every one of us doesn't have a perfect earthly father Don't say amen, Bex. Uh, Doesn't have a a a perfect heavenly father, uh, uh, earthly father. We we have fathers with 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 issues. I I get aggravated. I I I get frustrated. I get impatient. I'm I'm not a perfect representation of my heavenly father. My heavenly father says things, and I say the same things, and they come out completely differently. When God says, "Ask me again," it's an invitation. When I say, "Ask me again," It's not. I mean, right there is the distinction between our heavenly father and our earthly fathers. But God is is, is inviting us to, to, to know this positional holiness that we have in him. But as I said, friends, God's got so much more for us. God wants this positional holiness to be experienced. God wants us to walk in freedom. God wants us to live a life of holiness, which brings us to the third theological word, which is the word sanctification. Sanctification is the adventure or the journey that begins at salvation of being transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus from one degree of glory to the next as we allow the Holy Spirit to work in us, as we learn and as we learn to work with Him by recognizing and following His lead. Now, I want you to quickly turn to Colossians chapter 3, if you've got a Bible, quickly turn to Colossians chapter 3, and we're going to just give you a, a, just two practical things. To a, a two-step process, uh, as Paul outlays, uh, what does it look like to, to, for the positional holiness that we have in Jesus to be outworked into experiential holiness? I trust you guys are following with me. I know this is a lot to, to contain, but this is important. Colossians chapter 3, we're going to read uh, a few verses, starting at verse 1. Since then you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above, Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. We're going to get back to verse 1 and 2 in a moment, but verse 3 and 4 describe this reality of justification and adoption. Let's carry on in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. Sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must also rid yourselves of all such things as these anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have been taken off, but since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of our creator. Look at verse 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's who you are. If you are a follower of Jesus, your life is hidden with Christ in God. And Paul is wanting us to know that and to live like it's true. Paul is wanting us to know that and to live like it's true. And so to, and, to, and so to help us, he gives us this two-step blueprint on how positional holiness becomes experiential holiness. And don't see it as step one and step two. See it as left foot, right foot. Left foot, right foot. As we do one, we do the other. And it propels us forward in the plan and purpose of God. Step one, set your heart and mind. Set your heart and mind on what, on things above, verse one and two. Set your heart and mind on things above, on your new home. Set your heart and your mind on the new reality of the new of your new home, not on earthly things. For those who've been at Anthem Church for any length of time, you forgive me for using an old illustration that I've used time and time again, but I don't know any better way to describe it. Five years ago, we became American citizens. We have an American passport. That passport, that legal document allows us to do certain things like, uh, and I was going to say pay taxes, but we actually paid taxes before we became American citizens, but that legal document allows us to vote. That legal document allows us to to enter the country, to walk up to the customs official, even though we don't sound American, to present that legal document and to say, we are American citizens, and he lets us in. Not by virtue of our behavior, but by virtue of what has been declared over us, we have authority to enter this country. And it is the same for you and I by virtue of our positional holiness. Holiness. Because of what Jesus has done, we have the legal access, not because of our behavior, but we have the legal access to enter into the presence of the almighty holy God by virtue of what Jesus has done. But over time, I'm becoming more of who I already am, both as an American and as a believer in Jesus Christ. Now, you might not believe it, but I actually do sound more American than I did 15 years ago. I'm slowly becoming who I already am, what has been declared over me. I no longer walk on pavements. I walk on sidewalks. I no longer push a baby in a pram. I push a baby in a stroller. They don't wear nappies. They wear diapers. And I do not. I stop at the moment at at red lights, not red robots. Because I am changing my thinking. My new home is defining how I'm thinking and therefore how I am living. I'm becoming who I already am. And it's not just the way that I talk. It's the way that I live and the way that I lead. I'm going to share a very funny story from the first three months of us leading this church. Quick context. South Africa is a very leadership dominant culture. When the leader says you jump, the question you ask is how high do you want me to jump? And so we came with that thinking into an American culture. Just think of that. I mean, it's laughable. Within three months of planting the church, we called for a church fast. When you did that in South Africa, everyone arrived. You just said, we're fasting, and everyone was there. Sunday morning, guys, all five of us, Mike was there, guys, we're fasting. Mike said, yes, we're fasting. I had an American come up to me, and he said to me, why? Why? I mean, literally within me, I was like, don't judge me. Out of my mouth came these words, because I said so. (laughs) Now, that was the old me. I am becoming more of who I am in Christ and as an American citizen. I'm learning that that's not appropriate anymore. Friends, we've got to learn to set our minds on things above and our hearts on things above, to take captive Thoughts that are not lining up with the Word of God, and that's where the Word of God, and that's where our community, and that's where the leading of the Holy Spirit becomes so important, because when we face challenges that, that come against us and try to pull us back into the old way of living, the Word of God and the Holy Spirit reminding us of who we are, pulls us back to a place where we take captive those thoughts and remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus. Step one. As we set our, set our minds and hearts and things above. And step two is we put to death. We put to death the old way of thinking. We put to death the old way that was associated with the old way of living. When I, when I, when I renew my mind and I think about my new home, the old, the old me wants to raise itself up and try to pull me away. We have South African friends, none of you here, but we have South African friends who have moved to this country and insist years after years of living in this country, going to a steakhouse and ordering a fillet steak and refuse to change and then get shocked when the server doesn't know what they are talking about. There's no such thing in America as a fillet steak. They haven't changed. They haven't put to death their old way, and it's true for you and me. We need to put to death greed and selfishness and impurity and anger. Titus chapter 2 says this. It is the power of the Holy Spirit. It is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Teaches us to say no to ungodliness. Have you ever learned something that you've nailed first time? The Holy Spirit teaches us. I'm getting better in the way that I'm speaking. I'm using more and more American terms, except every now and then a South African term comes out, as Eric often reminds me. It's uh, just a funny story. I was talking to Ashley Black a couple Sundays ago, and I went up to her, and I was saying, I was meant to say, like, I, I, I'm, I'm standing with you. So I walked up to her, and I said, Ashley, I'm holding thumbs. And she goes, <laughs> So I'm like, I'm holding thumbs. And she goes, I have no idea what you're talking about. Essentially, it means I'm trusting for your best. It's a South African term. I occasionally drift back to my South Africanisms, just as I do as a follower of Jesus. I am running hard after God, but occasionally I trip up. Occasionally I make a mistake, and the Word of God says that it is His love and kindness that leads me back to repentance. I live with this philosophy, and I've been doing so for as long as I can remember. At the end of every day, I declare before I go to sleep, it is finished. The day is over. And I repent where I need to repent, and I make right with God where I need to make right, but I say, it is finished. And then every morning that I wake up, the first thing on my mind is God's mercies are new every morning. That's how we begin to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit. When I mess up here in America, if I were to go to fast, it's not the South African police who come and issue me a ticket because I no longer live in that country. It's the Chicago police who do. When I mess up, it's not the law of God that comes after me with condemnation It's the grace of God that comes after me and leads me back to the place where I should be, following the Holy Spirit in what He's called me to do. Can I get the worship team up here if you wouldn't mind? We're gonna bring this into land. The wheels are out. We're gonna just take a few moments just to there's lots that have been said, and Mark had a beautiful picture this morning at prayer meeting where he spoke about the the laser like precision. Of of, of of the Holy Spirit, and how he felt that the Holy Spirit wanted to wanted to do specific work in each of us this morning. Now, the, the holiness of God is this is this blanket, broad uh, term, which which we can we can think of in so many different ways and applies to us in so many different ways. But I felt that God wanted us to just create a moment, maybe five minutes. Where in the presence of the Holy Spirit, as the worship team play, we can just wait on God and allow Him to begin to to bring some of that laser-like precision and and challenge and and not condemnation, but conviction, bringing us into a place of greater freedom and wholeness in Him. As the worship team get ready, I just want to invite you to close your eyes. And I'm going to go back and reread that that description I gave of holiness. And I'm going to ask that, that you just listen out for maybe a phrase or maybe a term that applies to you and your walk with God right now. And then let's invite the Holy Spirit to come in to our hearts and begin to perhaps cut that part away or begin to breathe His, his breath and His fire and His life Into some of those areas that maybe you are trusting to see. Holiness is distinction and otherness and separation. It's separation from impurity and separation for God. Holiness is Christ likeness, it is openness, it is joy, it is dedication to Jesus. Holy Spirit is not legalism, it's not severity, it's not harshness, it's not exclusiveness. Neither is it niceness or morality in and of themselves. Holiness is refusing to be defensive or envious or jealous or vindictive. It's not irritated or self-centered. It is freedom from the need to do righteous things in view of others. It is freedom from selfish ambition, freedom from manipulation, freedom from pride and self-exaltation. Holiness is the assurance of salvation. It is confidence in God, confidence in His Word and in the power of the Holy Spirit. Holiness is fresh obedience every day. A daily openness to God, a daily obedience to the Holy Spirit, a daily graciousness towards ourselves and towards others. Holiness is enduring trial and standing on God's Word no matter what we are going through. Holiness is trusting God for tomorrow. It is freedom from introspection and the enjoyment of being led by the Spirit into the will of God. Holiness is the freedom from ritual, from legalism, from guilt, and and the freedom for glorifying God daily and living constantly in His presence. Holiness is transparency, it is ease, it is fearlessness, and living with a clear conscience before God and before each other. Holiness is patience willingness to submit to God and allowing him to bless us in his time and in in his way without panicking. Holiness is loving people and loving God. Holy Spirit, we ask for you just to move across this room to speak, to release wholeness, to release healing, To convict where conviction is needed, to call out where that is needed, to speak courage and boldness, to speak destiny, to allow us to surrender if we need to, Lord. Where we've held on to things, Lord, give us the courage to open our hands and to trust you, to trust you with our lives businesses, with our marriages, with our relationships, with our future. Holy Spirit, come. Let's begin to speak, Lord. Begin to refresh. Pour out your blessing. Thanks again for listening. To stay up to date, follow at Anthem Church Chicago and visit us, anthemforall.org. Anthem Church, all of Jesus for everyone.